0: The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Good evening. If you have your Bibles open to Exodus 17, I encourage you to keep them there. And if you don't already have them turned there, then I encourage you to do so now. As we get ready to study this Old Testament text... I think it's both right and even interesting to consider the place that the Old Testament has in the lives of some professed Christians. There was once a man by the name of Marcion, and in the second century, he tried to do away with the Old Testament completely. And his reason was this he thought there was a God of the Old Testament who was only righteous and wrathful, and he believed there was a second God of the Gospel or the New Testament unknown before Christ who is all about love and mercy. In our context today, we can compare Marcion's beliefs to the beliefs that some Christians make evident about the Old Testament, even some pastors in our day who have told us to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. It's actually not uncommon to hear statements like, who cares about the Old Testament? Should I even spend time in the Old Testament now that we have the New? After all, the Old Testament is full of law And the New Testament is full of grace. And sadly, these kinds of people cling only to a portion of God's revealed Word. And to this we have to say, what a travesty. Our God did not become a God of grace at the death and resurrection of Christ, but rather, in his unchanging character, he has always reflected in full loving grace toward his people. And the display of our God's grace can be seen throughout the Old Testament as well as the New. Many times I come back to this book, Exodus, a story of many undeserving people who got to continuously experience God's grace in the midst of their unfaithfulness. Time and time again as we read this book, they get what they do not deserve. And what is that but grace? That is what this passage is all about. That is the central idea of our text for this evening. Even though the Israelites deserve nothing but punishment and condemnation, God is steadily faithful to show them grace upon grace upon grace. In this text, we are going to see three Israelite failures, and these are all failures that could have rightly brought punishment from God, but instead... Bring grace from God. And as we study our way through this text, I want you to recognize that these are often failures of ours as well. So I'm going to phrase them in such a way that you can see that they are often our failures too. And the first failure is this. We fail to believe in God's provision. We fail to believe in God's provision. Notice with me again verse 1, which reads this way. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next, according to the Lord's command. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? Through quarreling with Moses, the Israelites prove their lack of faith in God. Verse 1 clearly says that they are camping at Rephidim according to the Lord's command. So who brought them here? It was God. Why are they in this place specifically? It's because God wants them there. However, they do not have faith that God knows what he is doing, and so they question God at the first opportunity that arises on this day. No water in the desert. When it comes to this word, complain, or as the ESV puts it, quarrel, we tend to automatically think of a a simple, heated argument between two people, but it's actually much more than that here. The Hebrew verb that is used is typically used in legal situations. So they are acting in this case as a lawyer would, demanding that God in trial would give proof for himself. They are testing God, and so that is why Moses asked them, why are you testing God? The Lord. Church, we have to consider when we are sinfully putting God to the test in our own lives. Oftentimes, we can easily forget about God's provision for us. And so in dire circumstances and times of trouble, we complain and we grumble. In what situation right now are you not trusting God to take care of you? Because believe it or not, he is the one who has you where you are. Paul in Philippians 4 says that he learned to trust God in both good times and bad times. In Philippians 4.12, he writes that, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. What is the secret? It comes in verse 13 of the same chapter. He says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was sustained in the good, the bad, and the ugly because in the midst of it all, he knew that he had a God who cared for him. He knew he had a God who would strengthen him, and he had a God who would make him content in any and every circumstance. Ligon Duncan, commenting on this passage, describes Paul's secret secret. In this way, he says, the secret of contentment is God's providence apprehended by your soul. You may have walked into this sanctuary tonight, and what you need to grasp is this idea that the secret to your contentment is to apprehend God's providence in your soul. Really and truly believe that in any and every situation, God is trusting for you. We often fail to trust in God's providence, but like Paul, we can come to a place in our lives where even though things look grim, we can say with all confidence, I still trust my God. Will you trust God? If we keep reading, we see the Israelites take this a step further. The second failure is this, a failure to believe in God's protection. We often fail to believe in God's protection. Verse 3 says that the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. And it says that they said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. This is where the Israelites' grumbling becomes surprising and actually remarkable. This need for water has caused the Israelites to question the greatest thing that God had ever done for them. Think back to the beginning of Exodus, Exodus 2.23, the basis of God's redemption for these people. It says that after a long time, hundreds of years in fact, that the king of Egypt died and the Israelites were groaning because of their difficult labor. And so they cried out and their cry for help went to God because of the difficult labor they faced. Their cry for help ascended to God, the text says. And so God responds with the events of Exodus. And now look at how they have forgotten. How ironic this question is. Why did you ever bring us up from Egypt? Well, you asked me to back in Exodus 2.23. Why did you bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? In essence, they're asking God, why are you not protecting us now? The Israelites here are acting like little children. Those of you who are parents understand this. Now that I have a 10-month-old, I'm beginning to understand this. As loving parents, you try to meet your child's every need. You provide for them, you care for them, you bless them in ways that they can't even imagine, but children are quick to forget how good mom and dad are to them. And worse, they don't know that they can just ask for help when they need it. So when they have a need, rather than trusting in the provision of their parents, they might whine or cry with complaints and grumbles to get what they want. And in those moments, little children question whether or not mom and dad really want to take care of them, even though you have done so their whole, albeit short, lives. And let me just take a moment to say to the kids of Liberty Baptist Church here, you can trust your parents. So in your time of need, church, do you whine, complain, or grumble? Or do you go to the one who can do something about your troubles? The one whose son said in Matthew 7, 11, that if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As we often do, the Israelites failed to believe in God's provision and his protection. And these two points are evidence of the last. We fail to believe in God's presence. We fail to believe in God's presence. In just a moment, we're going to come and see God's response to his children. But I want us to first see how this whole narrative is summed up when Moses names this place. Verse 7 Reads like this. He, Moses, named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? By their failure to trust in God's provision and his protection, the Israelites showed the core of their problem. They thought God was not with them. They thought God was absent. Of course, they are in the wilderness. They are headed to the promised land. And in this specific moment, they are caught in the desert with no water, one of the basic essentials of life, especially when you find yourself in a desert. So, this is indeed a trying time for them. We don't want to negate the fact that this is a difficult circumstance. It would be for any of us. But just consider all that the Israelites seem to have forgotten, all the things that God had done for them this far. They had just experienced the plagues brought against Egypt and how God righteously dealt with Pharaoh. They experienced the crossing at the Red Sea where God parted the waters miraculously for their salvation while also later bringing down those waters for the Egyptians' condemnation. They experienced the sweetening of water when they complained about its bitterness and the giving of food when they desperately longed for it. And they experienced the ever-present cloud of God's presence Among them throughout their journey, and yet they still are questioning God. How can it be that they have forgotten that God is with them? They have forgotten what God had done. They are basing the question of God's presence on temporary trials rather than God's ongoing graces to his people. In this story, the Israelites embrace the lesser reality of no water, and practically ignore the greater reality of God's presence. And we too are in a wilderness that we call life. And you, Christian, are headed to the promised land of eternal life with God. But because you're in the wilderness, you too might have a tendency to think that God has abandoned you, but he has not. Is it any wonder why we must stress remembering our own testimonies? You need to know and remember daily what God has done for you. If you will, turn with me to the book of Psalm 66 here. I want us to read what's called a psalm of shared history. This is a retelling of what God has done, which leads to a thankfulness for God now. It's for those times of doubt where we wonder if God is on our side when it seems he is missing from our lives. Starting in verse 1 there in Psalm 66, the psalmist writes, Let the whole earth shout joyfully to God, sing about the glory of his name and make his praise glorious. Say to God how awe-inspiring are your works. Your enemies will cringe before you because of your great strength. The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. The psalmist says, come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. He turned the sea into dry land. They crossed the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him. He rules forever by his might, and he keeps his eye on the nations. The rebellious should not exalt themselves. Bless our God, you peoples, and let the sound of his praise be heard. He keeps us alive and does not allow our feet to slip. For you, God, tested us. You refined us as silver is refined. You lured us into a trap. You placed burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us out to abundance. I will enter your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows that my lips promised and my mouth spoke during my distress. I will offer you fattened sheep, As burnt offerings with the fragrant smoke of rams, I will sacrifice bulls with goats. Come and listen, all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, and praise was on my tongue. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, God has listened. He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. Blessed be God. He has not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love from me. If you're struggling today, wondering if God truly is present and active, even with all that 2020 has brought us, I encourage you to go home and write your own psalm of shared history. Remember your story and how God has been faithful to you, the ways he's been faithful to your family and this church count God's blessings, forget them not, and live accordingly. I promise you that even in the situations we are facing right now in this world, God is still ever near his people. He continually dwells with his people. And if you are one of his people, that includes you. When we look back on the Israelites' failures, our conclusion should be thus very clearly. These people deserve nothing but God's wrath. But what do they get instead in this text? His grace and his mercy. Lest any of us think that we're much better than them, then let me assure you, you are not, I am not, nobody is. We too deserve nothing but the wrath of God, but he shows us grace upon grace in his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to conclude with this point. Though we often fail him, God never fails us. Now we get to read about God's response to their lack of faith. Verses four through six say, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you at the rock at Horeb, and when you hit the rock, water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. We don't get to see this actual event described in detail in our text, but Psalm 105.41 describes it like this. The psalmist writes that he opened a rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a stream in the desert. How amazing does this picture look? Water flowing like stream in a desert. God is providing for them what they need in the most miraculous way possible. Water coming from a rock. When given the opportunity to do whatever God wanted to do, he chose to show grace to his people. And Paul leaves no question as to what this is pointing to. Writing about this specific event, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. And listen to this, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. What a beautiful picture we have here. The Israelites are the ones who deserve to be struck. They have questioned God. They have tested God. They have sought out faith by sight. They have disobeyed. They have sinned against their maker. God had every right to destroy them. God had every right to strike them. But what does he do instead? He strikes the rock instead of striking the people. And living water flows forth to save them. In the same way, Jesus the rock was struck for our salvation. Instead of striking us down, God struck his son. He was wounded, struck, pierced, and crushed for our iniquity, as Isaiah says. When we deserved it, Christ took our judgment that we may know the salvation of God. And not only that, but he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death for us so that we would not have to experience the tormenting pain of hell for all eternity. And he did it all so that we may know what it's like to be graciously provided for, to be protected, and to live in his presence. We, like the Israelites, are often those who live with a complaining spirit And by no means do I want to advocate for a complaining spirit in any of us. But what's remarkable is that in light of our complaining and our grumbling, God has still saved us. He still loves us and he still shows us grace and mercy as his people. And so we cry out, praise the rock that is Christ. After reading a passage like this, especially in light of how Paul interprets it, you have to wonder how someone like Marcion could say that the God of the Old Testament was solely a God of wrath. Clearly, he is not. Though his wrath goes out to those who deserve it, his grace also goes out to those who don't deserve it. And I feel for those who do not know the deep, deep riches of God's glorious grace displayed throughout all of Scripture. If you're an unbeliever here this evening, then I pray that you would not be able to leave this place until you have approached the throne of God to be saved. Our God is a gracious God. He will be gracious to you, and what you need to do is not easy, but it is simple. Believe in this God. Believe in this gospel that has been preached, and repent of your sin. Turn away from your sinful lifestyle, and follow God. I and the other pastors here tonight will be down front after the service, and we would love to talk with you about this gospel and how you can be saved. But now I want to turn my attention to the Christians in the room. Believers, I pray that you would leave this place knowing God's grace more today. When you question God's provision, and it will happen, You will question whether or not God is actively providing for you. Think about your meals this past week or consider the bed that you will sleep in tonight and hear this truth that you have made it thus far in life. You are here today, are you not? Maybe a difficult path, yes, but nonetheless, God has cared and provided for you. God provides for his children and in the utmost way, he provided everything we would ever need for all eternity by sending his son in our place to be struck instead of us. When you question God's protection, I invite you to instead test your pulse instead of testing God. You are living, you are breathing, you are alive, and not only that, but even with all of the problems that this life will bring, and this life will bring problems, there is no path of perfection for Christians. You can still rest assured in the promise of 2 Corinthians 4 that this light momentary affliction you experience is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. May we, like Paul, have our souls apprehend both the mystery and the beauty of God's providence over our lives. And when you question God's presence, believe that God is still near. Remember the promise of Christ that a helper has been sent to you as a comforter, convictor, a helper, and a teacher. And remember Christ's promise in Matthew 28 that he is with us to the end of the age. In the hectic times of our day, in the hectic times of 2020, we would be better off likely to just turn off the news and to turn on the word of God in our lives. We are sometimes quick to say that God has turned his back on a country or a people because of how the media pervades our every mind and thought. I assure you, though some may try to convince you that God has left us or that God is gone, he is not because his presence is not ultimately with a country or a government. His presence is with a people. And the last I check, God still has a people. Instead of looking to news outlets or social media for any sort of comfort, I implore you to look to God's word instead. Maybe even Psalm 34, 15 through 22, where God is described in this way. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones and not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. The psalmist describes an active and living God who hears and delivers, a God who is near, a God who saves, delivers, and keeps safe his people, and a God who redeems the people he calls his own. And so I hope that with me you can proclaim what a great and gracious God we serve. Though we fail him, he never fails us. Though we complain, he still shows us his grace. And where we fail to uphold the law of God, Christ comes to fulfill it. Going forward, let us remember these truths and rest in them every single day. Let's pray together. Father, we ask first that you would forgive us for being a people who often neglect to remember your providence in providing for us in protecting us and being ever-present with us. Father, we confess this sin to you and ask that you would forgive us and heal us. At the same time, Father, we acknowledge how grateful we are for the fact that you have sent us Christ. We are thankful that Christ was struck when we deserved to be struck. Father, I pray that unbelievers here tonight might come to know this gospel for the first time clearly tonight and seek to be saved by you. Father, I pray that you would help the believers here and especially the members of Liberty Baptist to be people who trust in you, who know that you are protecting us, that you are providing for us, and that you are with us. Father, in good times and bad, would you help us to have your providence apprehended by our souls? Father, we ask that you would do these things and so many more. We pray them all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.